said he had some really good new music that he was excited. I'm assuming that was one of them. That was a great song, great message. Um, so let me ask you this. How would you feel if I dressed you in a t-shirt that said, I love Jesus, and dropped you in the middle of an ISIS-controlled city with the simple instructions of good luck, do the best you can? Or how about this? What if I put you uh, across the line from a 280-pound NFL linebacker without any pads on and said, tell you what we're going to do today, a little tackling practice. Good luck. Do the best you can. <laughs> See, neither one of those things would work out very well, would they? I would be setting you up for failure. Well, aren't you glad that Paul didn't get to this point in the letter and say to all of us, hey, do what I've asked you to do and follow through with all these commands and instructions. And oh, by the way, there is an enemy and he's going to do everything he can to stop you. Good luck. Do the best you can. That would work out equally as well as the first two scenarios. It just wouldn't happen. We have an enemy that is stronger than what we possess on our own. We don't stand a chance. So praise God that Paul didn't get to the letter at this point in the letter and give us those instructions. Let's look together at what he says in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. What does Paul tell us after giving us such a great description of what faithfulness looks like in the life of a Christian? He says in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. See, Paul wastes no time in telling us that we cannot win this battle against our enemy in our own strength. In, in verse 10, he tells us to be strong in the Lord. And in the original text, that is a passive phrase. In other words, it's telling us this is not something that you must do. It is something that must be done for you. This really has been the heart of Paul all throughout this letter. In fact, you see it reflected in his prayer. Look back at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. This is the first of several times that Paul has prayed in the midst of his letter to the Ephesians. And be reminded with me what he said back in chapter 1, verse 18. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. We are strengthened in God's power through our faith in Jesus Christ. And it is a resurrection power. Even to the point that Paul is saying the very same power that raised Christ from the dead 
is the power that is at work in you through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul is saying you will not stand a chance unless you depend on a power that you do not possess on your own. Be strong in the Lord, in the power of His might. And then he says, put on the the full armor of God. So clearly it's not just a matter of being strong. It's also a matter of being protected, right? That's the full armor of God. My question is, protected from what? I mean, if we think about it logically, we would assume that it's protecting our life, right? Isn't that why you wear armor? You're in a battle. It's protecting you from mortal injury. Is that what he means? I don't think so. Because Scripture tells us that Satan does not have the power to take your life before God says it's time. In Job chapter 14, verse 5, it says, Man's days are determined. You, God, have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. Our armor that God gives us is not for protecting our life. Because the number of our days rests completely in the hands of God. And there is no power that can overcome what God has determined. And Paul actually gives us the answer to this question of why wear this armor in verse 11. Look at it. Put on the full armor of God. Here's the reason. That you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of of the devil. We wear the armor of God in order to stand firm. Satan cannot take our life, but he does have the power to destroy our witness. We want the armor of God in order to stand firm in what we stand for. Did you hear that? Let me say that again. We wear the armor of God in order to stand firm in what we stand for. Our goal is not to defeat this enemy. Our goal is to have a a strong defense because our life is not at stake, but God's reputation is. We stand firm in order to protect the life-saving message of the gospel. I also want you to notice that Satan is very intentional in his tactics. Look again at verse 11. It says, we stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So Satan has a strategy, right? And we actually know what that strategy is. Here's why I say that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, it tells us that we know the schemes of the devil. You see, his ultimate goal is deception. He targets us to create uh, confusion, to create doubt. And these are not just random attacks. These, These are pinpoint precision to hit us in places that discourage and distract. He has a strategy. But we actually know his playbook because it's the same pattern of temptation over and over again. You look from the beginning of Scripture in the Garden of Eden to the temptation of Jesus in the desert, and all the way in 1 John when he says that the world has a temptation of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the sinful pride of life. In other words, things that make us feel good, things that look good, things that we believe we deserve. 
That's his strategy. That's his ploy to cause us to be confused, to cause us to have doubt and create distraction from faithfully following Christ so that instead of standing firm, we are led astray and end up believing things that aren't true. So on one hand, we know the devil's schemes. We know his ploy. We see his pattern. But on the other hand, he's had hundreds and hundreds of years to perfect his strategy of deception. Now, I want to give you an example, and I want you to hear me out before you judge me, okay? I think one of the examples of what we see in our modern day of how the enemy can infiltrate almost every single home in the United States of America is through the internet and social media. Because in those things, we are inundated with information constantly. And what is that information filled with? Things that make us feel good. If I just had one of those, things that look good, images that corrupt our mind, that promise us things that simply are not true, if I could just have what they have, then fill in the blank. I've learned in recent weeks through conversations with people who are struggling with some very real difficulties in life that you can go to the internet and find a, quote, Christian justification for every single sinful behavior you can imagine. I promise you, it's there. And I cannot tell you how many conversations I've had with somebody who says, I know this is right because this is what I found. This is what somebody said. And they typically go to the World Wide Web to find that justification. My point to this is that the evil is not in the advances of technology. We all benefit from that in some level or not. I'm just saying don't underestimate the pervasive power of our enemy. He's had hundreds of years to perfect his deception. It would be foolish for us to assume that he would not use all possible means to accomplish his goal. It would be foolish to believe that that barrage of information is innocent and benign. It'd be a huge mistake to believe that you could do your own thing and not be deceived. Look at verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Did you notice all the plural nouns? (laughs) Rulers with an S. Powers, world forces, spiritual forces. Our enemy is pervasive because he doesn't work alone. He has legions of enemies with him who are constantly at work against us. And they have all the power to use the influence of the world in which our enemy controls. It's his domain. He uses world governments. He'll use laws, cultural values to accomplish an evil outcome. Now, I, like you, am grateful for some of the spiritual heritage upon which this country was founded, but make no mistake, 
we are not an exception to the rule of the world in which the enemy controls. He is just as much in control of this country as he is any country that exists. Our enemy is powerful. His domain is a domain of darkness. His goal is to hide what is true, to cover up what is good and right, to make things worse. Our enemy is hidden. We can't see him. It says the spiritual forces of wickedness. Let me, it'd be a whole lot easier, wouldn't it, if Satan walked around with those devious little horns and a pitchfork tail and we could say, oh, there he is. But the Bible actually tells us that the devil can disguise himself as an angel of light. Here's my belief. I think the devil seeks to deceive by identifying himself as a Christian. I hope as you hear these things and you take it into account, you have a very clear understanding that you do not have a chance against this enemy. His power is pervasive. He is powerful beyond our means. And he is hidden in ways that we cannot see. We are all dependent upon a power that we do not possess on our own. Let's look at how Paul walks us through this in verse 13 after hopefully making that point very clear. Look at what he says in verse 13. He says, therefore, based on this enemy of which we do not have a chance, take up the armor of God that you may be able to resist in the day of evil and having done everything to stand firm. Twice now, Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God so that we might stand firm. In that single statement, we have a command and a promise. The command is to take up the full armor. God is providing it, but you have a responsibility to put it on. And not just a few select pieces. It says put on the full armor of God. Every time it's mentioned, it uses that same qualifier, the full armor of God. Because if you leave pieces out, you become very vulnerable. Guess where the enemy's going to attack? Wherever you're not covered. And so he tells us, put on the full armor of God. And if you do, there's a promise. Look at that promise. It says, you will resist the devil in that day of evil and stand firm in your faith. You see, the enemy cannot overcome a person who puts their trust in God. Did you hear me? We have a powerful enemy. There is no doubt about that. But he cannot overcome any person who puts their trust in God. Yes, the days are evil. Yes, the enemy is strong. But yes, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You have God's provision and you will resist and stand firm when you trust in him. That's a promise. You can stake your life on it. It's a promise of God. And so look at how he unfolds to describe what that looks like beginning in verse 14. He says, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Now we're going to take some time to go through each of these individually. 
But as we do, I don't know how your Bible notates it, but I want you to notice that a lot of these pieces of armor that Paul identifies are based on an Old Testament reference. Do you see that? In my Bible, it's in capital letters, but it's telling me that there's a verse in the Old Testament that this comes from. Now, we don't have time to go through all these verses, but if you wanted to, it'd be a great exercise to look up these verses. Because what you're going to find is, without exception, every single one of these Old Testament passages are being used to describe something about the promised Messiah. So what that means for you and I is the armor of God, which we're fixing to walk through, was first worn by our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that very same armor is what God is providing you. Is that not amazing? The armor that was worn by our Messiah, our Savior Jesus Christ, is the very same armor that is being provided to you. So if you want to know what it looks like to, to stand firm in faith, then look no further than the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 17 says that the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. The bottom line here is you cannot stand firm in your faith unless you have faith in Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And there is no way to come to the Father except through Him. That belt of truth is what holds everything together. And without it, it all falls apart because it's centered on the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Look at how he continues. He says, uh, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The, the belt is what holds everything in place. That breastplate of righteousness is what protects your heart. Remember, Satan is a deceiver. His goal is to create doubt. When, he, when you look in the mirror, he wants you to be ashamed. He wants you to think to yourself, boy, if God knew everything about me, he would not accept me. And that's a lie. Because he does know everything about you. And when you surrender your heart to him, he in fact does accept you. The Bible tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I spoke to a man recently who told me that every time he looks at himself in the mirror, he's ashamed. It broke my heart. And I told him, I said, listen, you need to know that what you are seeing about yourself is not what is seen by your heavenly father who created you. Because he delights in you. He loves you deeply. He gave his son on your behalf. So if you see anything less than a God who loves you unquestionably, unconditionally, you're not seeing it from him. It is not true. You're believing And I believe that's what Paul is wanting us to see here. We're not protected by some righteousness of our own good deeds in that we prove ourselves sufficient in the eyes of God. We have a righteousness that doesn't belong to us. The perfection of Jesus Christ has been credited to those who trust in him. The righteousness is not your own, it is his, given credited to you. 
When you put your faith in Christ, the perfection of Jesus Christ is being credited to you. So guard your heart with the knowledge of the righteousness that comes from God. Now look at verse 15. And having shod your feet with preparation of the gospel of peace. Paul is telling us to wear war boots. In order to stand firm, you got to stand on some solid footing, right? And that solid footing for the believer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not as a result of works that any man should boast. And I want you to notice that Paul says that it is a gospel of peace. We know that from, from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, where he told us that, that Jesus is our peace, that he broke down the dividing wall and made us into one new man, a, a new humanity, known as the church, a people of God. And he's telling us that we live in fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ and their strength in numbers. We stand together as we stand on the truth of the gospel i love this passage that communicates that very clearly it's just one book over turn to philippians chapter 1 philippians chapter 1 verse 27 i think this is an echo of what paul had in mind when he's telling us to to stand on the firm footing of the foundation of of the gospel it says only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of christ so that what, whenever I come to see you, or if I remain absent, I hear about you. That you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's the footing. That's the, the sure footing of the believer. Standing together for the sake of the gospel. We're girded with truth. Protected by Christ's righteousness. Standing on the firm footing of the gospel and now look at verse 16 in addition to all keep the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one now when you think about this shield of faith i don't want you to think captain america okay this is not some shield that you yield or use as a weapon based on your dexterity and athleticism it's not what this is Okay? In fact, if you go back and look at the shields during the Roman time, which I believe is what Paul had in mind here, the shield that a soldier carried was the size of that man. And when you wanted to use that shield, you simply stuck it in the ground and you hid behind it. That's the shield that Paul has in mind here. There are passages all throughout Scripture that talks about God being a shield for those who take refuge in him. That's the picture here. We are protected when we put our trust in him, when we stand behind him, when we stand on his promises, when we believe in his word. God's truth shields us from Satan's deception. And did you notice that Satan's arrows are called missiles here, but they're flaming? They're on fire. Why would that be the case? Why is that important? Collateral damage, right? Our resident theologian, Hud Huddleston, would put it this way. Sin splatters. It never affects just one person. It always hurts those around you. And the promise here 
is that when you stand behind that shield of faith and take refuge in trusting in God, it not only guards and protects you, it also protects those around you. It extinguishes those fiery arrows. Now look at verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. In verse 59, one of those passages that is being referred to here, it describes the Messiah as a victorious warrior, and guess what he's wearing? A helmet of salvation. And Paul is taking that reference and he's saying, the very same helmet that Christ wore is now given to you. Why? Is because he won a victory on your behalf. What he accomplished is credited to you. We stand firm when we live out of the reality of what Jesus Christ accomplished. And Paul tells the Philippians, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. James says, faith without works is dead. The whole idea here is this is not some theoretical principle. This is a practical experience. And the more that you find that God is faithful, the stronger in your faith you will be. Putting those promises to test and finding them to be true. Living out your faith and all that Christ has accomplished on our behalf. And then he talks about the sword of the Spirit, which he qualifies as the Word of God, that Word that guides us into all truth. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your Word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. When the enemy comes with you with a lie, when he wants to deceive you, the thing that we need to be prepared for is to battle with truth. Think about the temptation of Jesus in the desert. When Satan came at him every single time, how did he respond? A truth of God's word. So let me ask you this. If that was true for our Savior, Jesus Christ, how much more would it be true for us to be able to give a ready defense for every deception with a word of truth? Because that's where we spend our time. We can only stand firm when we stand on the truth of God's word. Not our own opinions, not conventional wisdom, but the inspired truth in the Word of God. Now, I want you to remember Satan's goal is to destroy our witness. We wear the armor of God in order to stand firm in what we stand for. Our life is not at stake, but God's reputation is. We stand firm in order to protect the life-saving message of the gospel. And I hope for each and every one of us, that's a big deal. I hope that's important for how we live. And so with that in mind, let me give you two reminders. The first one is this. Don't underestimate the powerful influence of our enemy. Number one, don't underestimate the powerful influence of of our enemy. He's had a long time to perfect his strategy of deception. His influence is pervasive in the world, so much so that you cannot trust anything unless it's supported in God's word, seen in the life of Christ, and confirmed in the communion of saints. Did you hear that? You cannot trust anything, not anything, in this world in which we live unless it's supported in God's word, seen in the life of Christ, and confirmed in the communion of saints. 
In verse 12, Paul says this is a spiritual battle. But he calls it our struggle. So yes, we're battling, but we're doing battle together. We're standing firm with one another for the sake of the gospel. And as soon as you step away from God's word, or God's people, or God's promises, you step out of God's protection. And you don't stand a chance. So don't underestimate the powerful influence of our enemy. The second one is this. Don't overestimate the sufficiency of your own strength. (laughs) Don't overestimate the sufficiency of your own strength. Let me be clear. If you are not wearing the armor, you do not stand a chance. You can't put on a few pieces and assume that it's enough. It's the full armor of God. If you would, turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. I want to look at verse 12 and 13 with you. Romans chapter 13, verse 12 and 13. It says, The night is almost gone, and the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity or sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. If you are not pursuing Christ, spending time in his word, living in fellowship with his people, you cannot avoid falling prey to the deception of the enemy. If you don't understand that to be true, then you're being deceived. You know, as I thought about this, I thought, you know, on an average Sunday morning, I think that there are probably those who are come who are believing a lie because they're following a religion and calling it faith. And what that means is that sometimes we get this idea that as long as good things are happening and God is blessing me, I'm okay with this idea of Christianity. But as soon as hard times come along, this is not fair anymore. Why? Because I'm doing all the right things and good things aren't happening. This is not fair. But if that's what you believe, you are following a system. You are not following God. And here's why. He never promised that everything was going to be okay. In fact, it was just the opposite. He says, in this world, you will have persecution. Why is that? Because this world is not our home. It's the domain of darkness in control of the enemy who seeks to divide and deceive and destroy. And so we can't expect for everything to be perfect this side of heaven because that was never the promise. And if you believe that, you believe a lie. We have to understand that our life is not at stake here. We're not going against this enemy who wants to take out our life. He wants to take out our witness because our witness is a life-saving message of hope. And by taking that away, he keeps it from being presented to those who need it most. And so when we think about spiritual battles, don't think about flesh and blood. Don't think about hand-to-hand combat. Think about communities circling around each other, 
standing firm in their faith, trusting in God's word for guidance in their life, pursuing Christ daily, surrendering their heart to him, standing firm in the gospel for the sake of our Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we proclaim the gospel. Does that make sense? There's a lot at stake here, but it's not your life. It's God's reputation. And so everything we do, we want to promote and honor and give praise to his name for his glory. That's why we stand firm, for his sake. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you this morning, it's really important that we be reminded of the environment in which we live. The domain of darkness where truth is often hidden by an enemy who seeks to deceive and destroy, confuse and create doubt, even in the lives of those who have put their trust in you. Because if he can take away our hope, if he can remove our understanding in the promises of God, if he can distract us from being in your word, then he has accomplished his goal. Because if nothing else, he just wants us to be ineffective. So, Father, I pray that this morning we would not uh, follow a religion, a system of rules, a list of duties, but we would enter into a relationship putting on the armor of God that was first worn by our Savior, Jesus Christ. That we would live a life clothed in Christ so that everything about us is centered on Him and His Word and His people for His name's sake. That's our prayer as your people gathered here this morning. And in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Have a great day.